Welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally, as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. My name is Carrie, and I'm thrilled that you decided to tune in to dive into this great conversation with Dr. Lauren Kane. Dr. Kane practices as a congenital cardiac surgeon at the Heart Center at Arnold Palmer Hospital for Children, University of Central Florida. Dr. Kane attended medical school at the University of Texas, Houston, and completed general surgery residency at University of Texas Southwestern Dallas. Following this, she went on to complete a fellowship in cardiothoracic surgery at Emory University and fellowship in congenital heart surgery at University of Southern California at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. She has served as faculty at the University of Texas Health Science Center San Antonio and Baylor College of Medicine before her current position at Arnold Palmer Hospital for Children. Dr. Kane serves as the vice president of the Women in Thoracic Surgery Organization She is active in the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, Southern Thoracic Surgical Association, and was recently awarded the Carolyn Reed Traveling Scholarship, during which she gathered international surgical experience in her travels to India, Japan, and England. Dr. Kane is chair of the patient education website for Society of Thoracic Surgeons, and she enjoys participating in the education of both patients and physicians. Dr. Kane, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show Welcome to Essential Wisdom. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to have you, and I'm so excited that we'll have this opportunity to share your story today. The way that I like to start off all of the conversations is just by asking you to tell us about your path to becoming a female physician. Okay. Um, I just had a interest in the way the body works, the way the Uh, physiology works. And so when I started college, I started with the idea that I would do a bunch of science classes and see if I liked them. Um, (laughs) Actually, that doesn't really mean you do or do not belong in medicine if you do or do not like your science classes. However, (laughs) I did like them and I went forward and pursued um, taking the MCAT, which is a test to get into medical school. And I did fine on that and then applied and got in. Uh, I had no physicians in my family or uh, anybody I knew. So it was a little bit of a, a uh, unknown that I was going mm. into. But, it's, but it seemed to be kind of the direction that I felt called to go to. I really liked it. Mm. I did great in those courses that um, you take before you go to medical school. So that was, that was how I became a medical student and then mm-hmm. a physician. <laughs> Would you say that um, pursuing medicine was something you ever wanted when you were a child or prior to college? Um, Prior to college, yes, but not so much as a child. I think probably in my mid to late teen years, Mm -hmm. I thought a vague uh, abstract 
uh, thought of going into medicine. But again, not knowing anyone and not having any exposure to any of it, I wasn't 100% sure. And that, and I should say right now that I'm totally the person who would not claim a major until I knew for <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> so I wouldn't claim that that's what I was going to do until I was doing it. <laughs> I love that. I can relate to that. Trying to understand all of your opportunities before picking the one. Exactly. <laughs> Um, when you were in college and making that decision, who was influential in your choice and in your path to, you know, taking the MCAT and getting this whole application cycle done? Um, interestingly, it was one of my early classes that one of my uh, professors, you know, pulled me aside and just said, what is it that you think you want to do with your life? Mm. And I said, I think I want to be a doctor. And he said, well, you need to get to a good college and and apply and get going because you're really good at this. And that really is what sparked me to think, oh, well, maybe I can do this. And, uh, wow. and then from there, you know, it just was, it was more, um, as far as the application process, just the pre-med office, um, that helped kind mm-hmm. of fig- me figure out the steps to take for medical applications. Did you have any uh, female mentors at the time or, or would you say that they were mostly male mentors? Mostly male. I actually worked in a basic science lab with a, a PhD uh, male that we worked very closely together. So one of the things that I have kind of come across when I'm talking to everybody about this is like we love and appreciate all of our male mentors. Many of mine have also been um, in, in my young path here. But um, one of the things that I've consistently heard from people is that, uh, it's difficult to find women to look up to, to emulate in defining and understanding where you're trying to go in, in the field. Um, because there aren't as many women ahead of you to look, to look toward. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I came in at a time that that was very true. There weren't mm-hmm. a lot of women ahead to look to, and I did not see that for myself, a barrier. Mm. Um, I, I utilized what I had, which was mostly male mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that anybody should ever feel they're limited by not having that. I think mm-hmm. you can definitely achieve what you want to achieve without having a female mentor. However, I think it's a really nice addition if you do. Mm-hmm. And I think it has some really special roles to play addition if you do. And I think it has some really special roles to play if you're lucky enough to have that. I was very determined. You know, I knew what I wanted to accomplish and really just, I don't think anybody could stop me. (laughs) So, you know, from that standpoint, but I, I'm excited that there are more and more women going into surgery in general, but even going into cardiothoracic surgery um, and congenital, which is my particular area. I think it's really exciting and I think it's a really good change because there's a lot of barriers, um, whether they're just mental barriers, physical barriers, that I think having more women in the field will help break down. Do you think you could talk a little bit more on the experience then of choosing surgery as your profession? Sure. Um, it's, it may sound silly, but I remember being a first year <laughs> watching the fourth years graduate. Okay. And I was like, oh, I wish I knew what I was going to go into. I wish I knew what I was going to do. 
because I didn't know at that point. And somebody said to me, just a random comment, you'll go into what your personality fits. And I said, oh, well, what does my personality fit into? <laughs> you know, I was I had no <laughs> idea. But then when I rotated on my rotations, I love surgery. I liked everything else, but I loved surgery. I was, my friends would say to me, oh my God, you're glowing and you're on stage. <laughs> Something is wrong with you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so it just, I could have spent 24 hours a day, every day and wanted more. In, and if you think about what you do as a medical student on surgery, that's a little hard to imagine. Part of it was I felt like I belonged in mm. that group because I, my personality did match theirs. And my drive did match theirs. And so I think that that comment was actually more accurate than you think <laughs> about wanting to go into something that your personality fits into. Absolutely. Um, I don't, I think that it might be a stereotype, but I, every time I've run into it, it, it holds true. I can relate to that. Even just having come out of my third year rotations and, and seeing the way that myself and my classmates have started to peel off into our respective choices. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it really, yeah. If you look at it, it really fits. <laughs> fits pretty well. Um, so what was it like then for you choosing cardiothoracic surgery? I loved it. I thought it was really interesting. I actually decided on it a little late. So the very first month of my fourth year, I finally admitted that that was what I was going to do <laughs> to myself and everybody else. It was really interesting because faculty in general surgery were coming out of the woodworks to talk me out of it. Wow. Um, nobody had a good thing to say about it. Everybody told me all the negatives with it. And I just had to listen to my gut mm. and listen to myself because I'm the only one who's deciding for me with no ulterior motives, whether they know it or not. So everybody wants what they think is best for you. You're the only one who really knows what is best for you. So I pursued it despite being, um, you know, quite aggressively pursued to, to talk me out of it. And I'm really glad I did. If you remember back to that time, was there a field that people were urging you to go into rather than cardiothoracic? Yes, they were pushing me hard to go into vascular surgery, but my mm. program director was a vascular surgeon, and so they would try to push people they felt were good into mm. that field. Okay. Mm. And mind you, I can't remember the exact number, but there were 13 of us residents in my class, and I want to say seven of them went into vascular. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Due to the intense, you know, pressure. But wow. The availability of certain types of surgeons does really impact um, what you might go into. I think so. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think when I say it, it pressured them, I think that the tactic was more complimentary. Mm -hmm. Like you're so good. We want you in this field, but a lot of people came to that. And I really just listened to me and my mm -hmm. heart. And didn't, it was flattering to have them try and get me to do that. But I knew in the end, I was the one who had to wake up and do it every day. Absolutely. Um, so it sounds like most of your career path decisions have been really self-driven um, and, and like determined by your priorities. Yes. Which is, which is awesome. Very, very much so. 
Trusting my own instincts. Yes. <laughs> what do you think was one thing you wish you knew when you were either a medical student or a resident that you look back on and say, wow, it would have been really helpful to know this. You know what? I think the best piece of advice that goes kind of along those lines that I would give anybody who uh, is asking or wants to listen is do what you get excited about and what you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, and I know it sounds silly with everything I just said, but there was definitely a lot of, am I picking the right thing? Is this the right Mm -hmm. thing? How do I know? We're Because as you know, as a medical student, you're always having to pick things before you really have all the information. And so, you know, there was still doubt or wonder or, you know, I'm going with my gut, but gosh, it better be right. Don't pick what's sexy, what makes the most money, what, you know, has the best prestige, whatever. Pick what you get excited about Mm -hmm. and you'll really enjoy your career. I love that. That's such important advice. And I mean, I need to listen to that. And so do so many people that I know. It takes, it takes some bravery to listen to your, your own inner voices sometimes. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, so in that same like vein, when you chose congenital cardiac surgery, did you have the same people saying, Oh no, don't do it. Or, or was that just really natural? I didn't have any uh, naysayers at that point. Okay. Um, as far as, as the people around me, my the people training me, um, they did not speak poorly of it. I would hear in more in a general term that there's no jobs in congenital. It's, you know, mm-hmm. um, hard to get into. It, more, most people fail in the first five years and going, you know, so I heard those kind of statistics mm-hmm. and things, but those are all actually true. <laughs> So as opposed to, you know, hearing thoracic surgery is going away and it's a dying field and all that, which is not true. Yeah. Yeah. The, the warnings I heard, I didn't take them the same way because they're, they're actually true. But in the end, it's really what I wanted the most. And I mm-hmm. felt it, it was important to me to go for it. There's, there's a good business piece of advice that I'd hear sometimes yeah. not in medicine and that's there's always room for the best at the top. Mm. Right. Or in the, I like that. Yeah. And so I said, well, I'll just have to be one of the best and there'll always be room for me. That's amazing. I don't know if it's hundred percent true, but that's what I did. I really like it. I really, I really like it. In your path of, of going through that and choosing something that's so unique and truly to a lot of people, something I think is like, I can't even believe that, you know, you do surgery on baby hearts. Um, what is your greatest reward for what you do every day? So there's no way to say this without being corny, Okay. (laughs) but I, the greatest reward is the relationships with the, with the children and their families, hands down. The greatest reward is to see, you know, a family take, take their child, which is the hardest thing in the world for them to the operating room, bring them back to them and get them home in a better state than they were when they came in. Mm-hmm. Um, you will forever be in that family's memory and they're in mine. So I have families in touch with me from, from the very first months of my practice. That is truly the most rewarding thing in to me that I get out of my field is just, it's an incredible, I I tell all the families 
And it's so true. I say, once I operate on your child's heart, you're in my heart family. I will always, always be here for you. I've always been there for anybody who needs me afterwards. I have so many families that stay in touch with me, even ask me about procedures that their kid's going to have that have nothing to do with hearts. One of the most precious was one of my, one of my sweet families asked me if I could be the emergency contact for their congenital heart <gasps> child in case something happened to both of them at work. Oh my gosh. So that's rewarding. I'm like speechless. That's so beautiful. It's it's such a crazy gift to be a part of these people's lives in such a profound way. In such a profound way. Like it is so rewarding. Mm -hmm. It is really, um, I feel very blessed and lucky to do what I do and get to have these connections with people. You know, one of my, I remember saying in the first year of med school, I said, God, I hope I don't lose my compassion. Mm. Right. And mm-hmm. somebody, somebody answered me when I said that and said, well, if you're saying that you won't ever lose it because you're already thinking about it. And it, it's really, it comes so natural to me mm-hmm. to be compassionate and empathetic and connect with my families. And I connect with them, almost all of them in a way, and almost, and they all know because they can see it and they can feel it that I care mm-hmm. about them and their child. You know, it's not just another surgery that I'm doing. I actually know them and I know their child and I care. And that really, really helps them get through. It's, it's honestly just seems like such an incredible time to be a part of these young babies and young families that are going through something that probably is so overwhelming to them. Yes. Yeah. Um, Be able to bring some level of peace, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Specifically, um, as a female in the field, what would you say is either beneficial or specifically challenging? Um, I think as far as challenges go, it's the, it's kind of generic across all of, um, male dominated fields, Mm -hmm. I guess is a good way to put that, that there's all kinds of direct biases and indirect biases and, um, you know, you'll, people will treat you different than your colleagues. Mm. Um, You can say, you can ask a question of somebody in a very kind, you know, normal way and they get very defensive and irritate, you know, and act Mm. ridiculous in the, in your male partner could ask ask the exact same question, the exact same way. And it's, let me find out for you and let me do this (laughs) for you. So there's, there's those type of um, obvious things. uh, But it's also, um, the, the good side, the good side is that so many people that you work with colleagues, um, your nurses, your, you know, scrub techs, your anesthesiologists, all the people that you work with every day, they're also, a lot of them are really hungry for mm. just to work with a good person, mm. a good human being who's going to treat them well you know, and, and see them and acknowledge them. So I think some of the things that get attributed to female traits, um, sometimes are actually a really neat benefit and (laughs) and affect you in a, in a different way, um, in a good way. You're allowed to show you care. You're allowed to give hugs when the families want hugs. As a female physician, sometimes that's a little bit easier. In terms of the 
the positive side of that. I love that you said you can give hugs because I've actually never heard someone say that before. And uh, it's so true. Yeah. I've definitely seen so many female physicians give hugs and not as many male physicians. <laughs> yeah. It's and it's very good. acceptable. <laughs> it's more acceptable for us. So I mean, if somebody wants to reach out and hug me, I'll hug them. That's awesome. You know? So yeah. <laughs> On the challenges side of this, yeah. is there a way that you over time have learned to deal with it or dispel some of the issues surrounding yourself? Um, yeah, I think over time you mature and you figure out that that really, really, you know, silly old saying of you get catch more flies with honey than, <laughs> you know, what. So I think once you just get a little bit more comfortable with yourself and your position and your knowledge and your, you know, your place, you don't, it just doesn't bother me mm. as much. Um, and I have, I'm a lot better at dealing with it with a, a positive response Mm. that tends to unarm people and um you know and if it's something a little bit more egregious not just somebody you know being reactive to you or whatnot um if it's something a lot more unconscious bias or, or just flat out inappropriate yeah I've learned that being stern but being kind mm. works best for me so I don't have to be, I don't have to ignore it or um, defend myself or, or, you know, whatever. I can mm -hmm. just say that's just really not okay. When I started general surgery, it was a very, you know, toxic environment. And the tougher you were, the better. And I feel like when I looked back and once I started cardiac and I looked back mm -hmm. at my general surgery experience, I feel like I was a lot harder than I needed to be. I think, you know, very quickly after I finished general surgery, I kind of realized, oh, wait, you can put up good boundaries without having to be so act as tough. Mm. You know, you can, you can learn how to stand up for yourself in a more positive way. And that happened in your cardiothoracic residency or fellowship? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, um, that's something that I, I certainly wonder about, and I'm sure our, some of our listeners do, if you're choosing a field where, you know, it is male dominated, um, one, will I lose my compassion, I guess is the question. And then two, will I lose some of my own feminine characteristics or, um, need to become more tough? And then how do I recover that at the end? And so that's really interesting that you brought that up. Yeah. I think it's definitely, it's definitely recoverable. Mm. But if I, you know, have it to do all over again, you know, the, the wisdom that I gained through all the years and all the experiences, I didn't ever really have to be who I wasn't. I think if I had it to do all over again, I would not be as harsh mm. in that process, in the early process. I could have accomplished the same thing without the harshness. Mm. So. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's really great advice um, and something that's beneficial for me and for, I'm sure, um, other people out there. Um, in terms of where the field is now, it's certainly better in terms of how many women are are there. And I'm speaking about just surgery in general. Um, yes. Do you think that the 
do you think that we're continuing to improve in our treatment of women and um, some of those biases that do exist? I think there, I think if you ask somebody that was even more, you know, experienced than I am or further along than I am, I think we've definitely improved. Mm-hmm. At the same time, improved doesn't mean that there aren't some pretty severe places that you can go and experiences you can have. But definitely, I think it's better. Uh, some of the idea for creating this podcast was really to talk about these topics so that our women who are planning their careers are informed about what they're looking ahead at. And, um, you know, just education, like we talked about with, with your interest in education, like I, I feel that education when you're young about these things is part of, you know, distilling down some of the issues. And I wonder if, um, you would have any advice for say a pre-medical student who's in college, uh, how she can start to build some of these traits of like stern, but kind, um, at a young age or how, how she can develop towards becoming strong in that way. That's a good question. Cause I'm not sure I did that. Well, <laughs> I don't think so. It would be worthwhile to look into like, I, I happen to read books a lot if I mm-hmm. want to learn about something. So, you know, I might read a little bit more about boundaries mm-hmm. and, um, about how to, how to be effective, you know, and it, so there's a whole bunch of books out there that are, are good at just telling you or kind of helping you put together your own idea of how you would like to function. Mm. And I call a lot of, I, I find a lot of the books that I like under more of a business type section, leadership books, um, not so much management, but somewhat management, um, things like that and learning how to set your, set your boundaries, I think is probably the best thing to start as opposed to, yes, go volunteer, go be exposed, go shadow people, do all of that. See if you actually like it. But then on the working on yourself side is, is become comfortable in your own skin. I love that. And I love that you mentioned the business side of things because, um, like, not that I'm, you know, repping a book or anything, but I recently bought this book by the Harvard Business Review. They're all business books that have this information called Women at Work. And it's excellent. It's a combination of essays about um, female characteristics and how we navigate being at work. And I think it's interesting. I wonder if the business field is a little bit farther advanced in discussing these topics than we might be. I think so. And I've read a lot of books like that. um, And I may have even read that exact one. (laughs) you're talking about uh, that is really interesting and it's great to read about other people's experience one of the my favorite titles of books so was solving for x in the y domain that's so good title of that so I had to read it and it was really just uh is really more of somebody's kind of their either their master thesis or something where they interviewed 16 successful women um in the stems mm. and in that science and, and, uh, engineering and mathematics. Yeah. So, and just ask them a, a, a series of questions similar to your podcast. And mm-hmm. so it was kind of interesting reading through the way those women dealt with and, st- and succeeded. Yeah. So that's probably what I would recommend. I went to a women's college and that's what kind of gave rise to my whole passion for, understanding, um, women's role in the workforce and how we can continue to improve. So, 
um, access to women physicians and women mentors is important and um, obviously gave rise to this podcast. Okay. So that's my, that's my soapbox. I'll get off of it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it is important and I don't think anyone should let it hold them back if they don't have access to a woman uh, mentor, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's, it's a really wonderful thing, you know? And so I agree with you. I think it's, it's great. Thank you. And we need to be supportive of each other and we need to help each other get through this. Absolutely. In understanding you know, this process of deciding a career, you know, setting your goals. I think that setting priorities is one of the more difficult things. So I, I asked this kind of general question, how do you set priorities in your life? Um, I suppose by what's important to me, Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of a simple, simple answer, but I'll give a good example of while I was in training for the nine or so years that I trained, my mm-hmm. schedule was so variable and uh, not really in my control. So my taking care of myself, my fitness, mm-hmm. was something that was very hard to have a you know kind of constant deal. So I decided that as soon as I was in my career and not training anymore, that I have to make that a priority. Mm-hmm. So I have. And I make sure I get that in. It's the, it's the me time. It helps in so many levels. It helps mentally. It helps physically. It's, it's really wonderful. So I, I set priorities, you know, that of things that are important to me, it's important Mm -hmm. for me to be fit. It's important for me to have, um, downtime and it's not, people talk about work-life balance and I'm not so sure that balance is really the right thing to strive for. But I do think you have to have something in your life on a regular basis that restores you and rejuvenates Mm. you. And that doesn't necessarily mean an equal amount of this and that. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a particular time um, dedicated to it. But if when you step away from work, you engage in things that restore you and that Mm. regenerate, you know, revives you, kind of makes you excited again about life. Then that I think is a priority to me. And that is Mm. something that will keep you going and keep you sustained. And if you listen to the advice we gave at the very beginning, which is do what you love, (laughs) go with what you're passionate about, then your work will actually be part of that. So I was going to say, if you hadn't have said that, I was going to say it's, I feel like the relationship that you're talking about with these families and these kids is that to you, it sounded like. Yeah. I mean, I feel like my job, my, what I do for a living, actually, I get a lot um, of that um, reinforcement in my life that makes me happy. Mm. So it's really cool because I, I don't actually have to get away from my job to get that. And that's why I want to say, you know, that's why I say it's not really a work-life balance. If you Mm. get that out of your job, then that's amazing. And that's great. You know, you don't have to have a massive, you know, time set aside outside of your job. Mm. Um, But I love my family. I love traveling. I love, and I think it's important to take part in it and not, uh, not wait to live until you're, you know, done working. So. Mm. Speaking of traveling, would you tell us a little bit about your amazing travels on your Carolyn Reed grant scholarship? Oh my gosh, that was so wonderful. I was so excited to get that grant. So I 
my proposal for that was that I wanted to be exposed to congenital heart surgery around the world. Okay. And I set up um, visits a week each, one in Japan, one in India, New Delhi, and one in London, England. Mm-hmm. And so I went and spent a week with surgeons that do congenital heart surgery in each of those countries. It was it was really amazing. It was such a incredible trip. They were all so welcoming mm-hmm. um, and so happy to have me there and observing in the OR and spending time with them. I really, it was just so, it was so neat to see the differences and the similarities uh, amongst our fields mm-hmm. across very different environments. So, wow. Yeah, it was incredible. So Japan was very... Uh, the places I went had a lot of really nice, you know, up-to-date mm-hmm. um, technology that was there. Very nice orderly ORs and um, things like that. And then going to India, it was in a in a private hospital, but it was um, as kind of bare bones. And definitely seemed you know, very awkward compared to what I'm used to, you know, with all the regulations and stuff in America. So, but the surgeries were wonderful. And it was, it, what struck me at there was just how much they could do with so few resources, really. Um, and what good care they took care of their patients, um, with, you know, a fraction of what I have at my disposal in America. So that was really inspiring. What is a piece of advice that you have for women who are in college preparing for medical school? Know that this is really what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Don't do it for anybody else, not for your parents, not for any other reason, but do it if you really want to do it. You're dealing with people when they're not at their best when you're in medicine for the most part. So make sure you want to be a doctor. If you're in college and you're thinking about medical school and, you know, of course, everybody knows you're supposed to go volunteer and, Mm -hmm. you know, get around medicine so you can see if you even like it. But don't be afraid to go to a medical school that's in your town or in your area and meet some medical students and talk to them and ask them uh, about what it's like and see if you can learn about it that way as well. In terms of women who are in medical school now, um, maybe either selecting residency choices or trying to really figure out what they're interested in. Um, I know you already said, you know, do what you love. Is there, is there any other thoughts that you might offer for advice in terms of figuring out where you're headed? All of, all of the other things that we all think are so important at that, at that stage, really they'll all work out. They will. So worrying about having children or having a family, you can have a family no matter what you pick. Mm. If you want to do cardiothoracic surgery, everyone will say it's so impossible to have a family. It's not. It's not impossible at all. However, it may, it may change what kind of practice you're interested in. Mm. Um, you can work a million hours doing family practice or surgery. Or you can work reasonable hours doing either. It depends on what your goals are and what you want out of your career. You can create what, whatever environment that you're looking for, it's out there. 
set your goals and achieve them. Thank you, Dr. Kane, for coming to speak with Essential Wisdom, inspiring future female physicians. This was an absolute joy of a conversation to have, and I hope our listeners truly appreciate and just delight in having this conversation as much as I did. So thank you, Dr. Kane, for coming to speak with me, and thank you to the listeners for tuning in for this fourth episode. This was a, is a the second one of our surgeons, and next week we'll be featuring two research scientists who serve as advisors and mentors to pre-medical students as well as medical students. So I think that you'll enjoy that from a little bit of a different perspective. Um, so thank you for tuning in. If you're interested in following with us a little bit more, please check us out online. You can find us at in, uh, essentialwisdominspiringphysicians.com, at essentialwisdom.buzzsprout.com, or you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify Podcasts. So please do that. If you're enjoying this, would you please consider sharing this podcast with a friend? It's really important to disseminate this information to talk about the role of women in medicine and how it's continuing to change over time. And I would just love if we could share this message with other women planning their careers and other women maybe even separate from medicine. So if you've got somebody in your family who's in college, who's in pre-med, maybe a medical student, maybe a resident, maybe not somebody in medicine at all, please share this podcast. And if you're even feeling more excited, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. All of your feedback is very much appreciated. Thank you, everyone. Have a great Monday. Mm -hmm.